welcome to Swarthmore Presbyterian Church's podcast. This is your host, Alex Evangelista. We are delighted you are here, and don't forget to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. You are now listening to a sermon recorded for May 23rd, 2021, titled, Conversed into This Faith, by Reverend Joyce Shin. Let us pray. Almighty God, startle us today with your living word. Speak to us in new tongues so that we might hear what we couldn't hear before. Then open our mouths that we may speak what matters most, your word, trustworthy and true. In the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. As Luke tells us, it was on Pentecost, one of the Jewish calendar's three major pilgrimage festivals, that Jerusalem was full of Jews from many different regions. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, Cretans and Arabs, Jews from Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, and Rome had all made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Jewish festival of Pentecost. And while Jesus' disciples were together in one place, suddenly the Holy Spirit rushed upon them with such great wind that it made a loud noise. And at once, the disciples all began to speak, and the noise they made attracted the attention of Jews from all different nations. When these Jews looked, they saw the most amazing thing. The apostles had tongues like flames over their heads. And when they listened, they were yet further amazed they could actually understand these apostles, who though from Galilee were suddenly able to speak in languages that had been foreign to them before. Pentecost was a language event in which Jews from all over the world were able to hear in their own native language the word of God, the good news that Jesus commissioned the apostles to share to the ends of the earth. That on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit manifested itself in the gift of languages should not surprise us. We know, after all, that God is something of a linguophile. We know that in the beginning was the word, the word word, appears more than 600 times in the Jewish and Christian scriptures. It appears in almost every book of the Bible. This word created the world out of nothing. In Jesus, the word became incarnate, taking on flesh and blood. And when we are invited to receive and eat the body of Christ, the challenging word that we eat becomes sweet as honey. The church's diet consists of the word of God. And so as shocking as the event of Pentecost is, 
it seems fitting that at Pentecost, the gift that the Spirit gave to the disciples was the gift of words, language, the gift not only of speaking, but of being understood. So let me ask you, on average, how often do you exercise this gift? How often in any given week do you speak about the gospel? Do you exercise your tongues like flames that burn warm and bright to spread the gospel? I have been a Presbyterian all my life, and given the reserved nature of Presbyterians, I might suspect that often we feel timid in talking about God in our lives. What might be holding us back? There is, I'm sure, a host of reasons. For one, we might hold back because sometimes it seems like religious conversations can create tension, even argument, making it difficult to talk about God in our lives. Perhaps we aren't sure how to talk about how much we love Jesus without sounding weird or like a fanatic. Perhaps religious language is laden with baggage that feels just too heavy for us to lift into our day-to-day -day communications. In an article published in 2013 in the New York Times, entitled, What Our Words Tell Us, David Brooks writes about the decline of certain words in our era. Based, he based his essay on Google's Ngram statistics, a database of 5.2 million books, newspapers, and printed materials published between 1500 and 2008. It is by far the largest collection of literature in the world. And though it was not the point of Brooks' article, perhaps his findings reveal how widespread our tongue-tiedness when it comes to using religious language is these days. Over the course of the 20th century, words that Christians have called the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control become rarer. Humility words like modesty, fell by 52%. Compassion words like kindness declined by 56%. Gratitude words like thankfulness dropped 49%. The use of words like mercy, wisdom, faith, sacrifice, honesty, righteousness, evil, and grace all dramatically declined. These findings may resonate with us. It may be that there are particular faith words that you refrain from using. When Michael and I were preparing for the birth of Sophia, we spent a lot of time talking about different possible middle names. I really liked the name Grace. I liked what it means, 
how it sounds, and the fact that my older sister, whom I love, is named Grace. But Michael thought it sounded too religious. Hmm. So instead, upon my father's suggestion, we named her Grace in Korean, which is Unhe. And while it means grace, it doesn't sound like it to non-Korean speakers. Sometimes religiously meaningful and beautiful words like grace get trapped into closed systems of belief, creating a barrier of understanding to those outside the system. In his book, Learning to Speak God from Scratch, Jonathan Merritt, a linguist, writes about a conversation he had with his friend Kathy. He writes, I asked my friend Kathy what she meant when she said, I asked Jesus into my heart. Where did the image of Jesus entering an artery and aorta come from, I asked. And what was she trying to express exactly? Kathy paused in confusion. She'd never been asked that before. Finally, she said this phrase meant she's saved. What did the word saved mean, I asked her. Kathy looked confused for a moment. Saved, she explained, meant she'd accepted God's gift of grace. But what does that gift mean, I pressed. Exasperated, she circled back. It means that I asked Jesus into my heart. Jonathan Merritt suspects that we don't ask ourselves frequently enough, what am I saying when I'm saying what I'm saying? As a result, sometimes we speak in ways that are incomprehensible to people who don't speak Christianese. Perhaps one of the reasons why you and I don't exercise those flame-like tongues given to us by the Spirit as much as we could is that we don't want our conversations with friends, neighbors, acquaintances, and strangers to be misperceived as having an agenda. Out of respect for other people, we try to avoid the misperception that we are out to convert them. But what if talking about our lives in God were more about conversation than conversion? I cannot remember a time or moment in my life when I was converted to Christianity. My trust in God and my love of Jesus came instead through innumerable conversations over the course of my life with my dad, my mom, a close family friend, Sunday school teachers, youth group leaders, my youth pastor, theology professors, and interfaith dialogue partners. I was conversed into this faith. I wonder if this might be true for many of you also. In her book entitled Reclaiming Conversation, Sherry Turkle reminds readers what true conversation entails. Genuine conversation, she says, is open-ended. It's not driven by an agenda or for the sake of any particular purpose. Conversation is also much more than just talking. 
One listens to understand, and one speaks to be understood. And through it all, there is much opportunity for self-reflection. Conversation, she says, entails being fully present and vulnerably open to where things will go. And although such conversations aren't for the sake of any particular agenda, because in them empathy and intimacy flourish, creative collaborations can emerge, and social solidarity can gain strength. It has been through conversations of this nature that I have been conversed into a deeper desire to know God, to love Jesus, and to be with my neighbor. I wonder if such spirit-filled conversations have played a role in your life as well. With whom in your life have you had spirit-filled conversations about God? Who are the people with whom you have conversed? Who has conversed you into a trusting relationship with God, into a committed faith? Could it be that on Pentecost, all those years ago, when the Holy Spirit gave the apostles tongues like flames, God was equipping us to have such conversations? This question comes to the fore in the work of the Dutch monk and biblical scholar Desiderius Erasmus, who lived in the earlier part of the 1500s. He translated the first Greek New Testament with the Latin translation in parallel. As Erasmus edited his New Testament translation, in particular the prologue to the Gospel of John, he came upon a discovery that fascinated him. After consulting every relevant source, Erasmus concluded that the meaning of the Greek word logos, word, in those verses in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, should be translated as conversation. The Greek word logos, Erasmus discovered, has a much more complex and dynamic meaning than the static word, word, conveys. Erasmus argued that logos signifies a continuous, ongoing conversation in which the listener and the speaker both participate. Here is a translation of his rendering of John's prologue. It all arose out of a conversation. Conversation was God. I'm sorry, conversation within God. In fact, the conversation was God. So God started the discussion, and everything came out of this, and nothing happened without consultation. This was the life, life that was the light of men, shining in the darkness, a darkness which neither understood nor quenched its creativity. John, a man sent by God, came to remind people about the nature of the light so that they would observe. He was not the subject under discussion, but the bearer of an invitation to join in. The subject of the conversation, the original light, came into the world, 
the world that had arisen out of his willingness to converse. He had fleshed out the word, words, but the world did not understand. He came to those who knew the language, but they did not respond. Those who did become a new creation, his children, they read the signs and responded. These children were born out of sharing in the creative activity of God. They heard the conversation still going on here, now, and took part, discovering a new way of being people. To be invited to share in a conversation about the nature of life was for them a glorious opportunity not to be missed. While some scholars thought Erasmus's translation best captured the gospel's message, most English translations for other reasons reverted back to the use of word rather than conversation. I can't help but wonder, however, what it would be like to experience God's word as divine conversation, to be in conversation with Jesus who came to be with us, listens intimately and knows us face to face? And what would it be like to conceive of the Holy Spirit as the one who empowers us with the gift of tongues so that we too can partake in such conversations, being fully present to one another and vulnerably, vulnerably open to where the Spirit might lead? Learning to speak authentically about our faith may sometimes feel like we are trying out a foreign tongue. At first, we may receive from others stares of blank non-comprehension, even skepticism. But keep practicing. You'll know that the Spirit is with you in your conversations when you feel your hearts burn gently and brightly within. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon, recorded for the 23rd of May, 2021, titled, Converse Into This Faith, by Rev. Joyce Shea. We'll see you soon, and may the peace of Christ be with you.